Hi, I'm Rob Vanstone, and welcome to the Leader Post Rider Rumblings podcast. Uh, this is Volume Two, Episode Two. I nailed it. All right, it's Episode One for uh, Murray McCormick. Murray was in Montreal last week when we recorded, or sorry, Mont Quebec last week while we were when while we were recording the first episode of the year. Thanks again to Ariel Zur for for joining us last week. Uh, Murray was at CFL meetings, and I was here. So. Um, we will start. There's so many, <laughs> so many things that we could talk about. There's Mexico. There's any number of issues with regard to the Rough Riders. Uh, Murray made a made a suggestion that we lead off discussing Adam Big Hill <laughs> resigning with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers for three years. And no, this isn't a bomber podcast. But when you see one of the big names in the free agency yeah. pool signing well before the February 12th free agent deadline, I think it. It raises the eyebrows a bit, not so much as far as what's going on in Winnipeg, but okay, there's the specter of Mike Riley, and I think the widespread expectation or assumption that he is going to test free agency and that a number of teams are going to be lining up. That may very well materialize, but there would have been a, a voracious appetite on the part of a number of teams for Adam Big Hill, and he re-ups with Winnipeg in mid-January, so... Makes you wonder is the, is the, is there is there a fallacy in as as far as assuming that Mike Riley is going to test free agency? That was the, the consensus at the CFL meetings amongst a lot of times the sports writers standing around talking that Mike Riley is going to go for free agency and sign with the Lions. That seems to be the consistency. But yeah, this Adam Bigger one kind of says maybe there is a thaw. Maybe these big time guys are going to take the chance on getting their money now, and I understand he gets pretty good money and gets his salary bonus, his bonus when the new negotiation when the new CBA is signed. So. Maybe there can be movement before the free agent deadline, and maybe it'll change everything. Because imagine if, if Mike Riley signs before the free agent deadline, that changes the whole quarterback picture. And in, in a few places. In a few places, <laughs> yeah. Like especially with the Riders, that who do they go after then? That can't, you can't consider Bo Levi Mitchell an, an option because I think he's going to go to NFL. And even if he doesn't, he's going to go stay in Calgary. Yeah. So who's that leave him? Jonathan Jennings or Trevor Harris? And Trevor Harris is. I think he's going to go back to Ottawa. I think that's the best situation for him if he was offering, if he wanted my advice. But it's about money and about what you're going to get, what you can get out of it. But I'm kind of stunned by Adam Beagle saying, I really kind of thought the big names would wait to see what free agency brought, test the market, see how much you can get. But he gets a three-year deal with a team that he wants to be, a, a town he wants to live in. You forget about that aspect. He wants to be a full-time residence in Winnipeg. and. Maybe it's a good place to live. Maybe we've got to stop slagging it all the time. Maybe there's something nice about Winnipeg. Winnipeg has the Jets, and that's a wonderful thing. That's true. The, and the forks. I the, love the forks. And the knives. There was <laughs> there was a – as far as Adam Big Hill, people were speculating, well, he might go back to BC because he's he's got his home there. And, and so the same argument, I think, can be used, or a similar argument can be used in the case of Mike Riley. Well, he, he lives in the Pacific Northwest, so BC would be nice and convenient. Well, the convenience of BC didn't deter Adam Big Hill from resigning with Winnipeg. So you wonder if, again, the Mike Riley, uh, any of some, some assumptions regarding Mike Riley might prove to be false. And, and if you're the Edmonton Eskimos, that's your franchise. Yeah. You don't sign Mike Riley, and what have you got? You've got a, you've got a coaching staff that uh, doesn't have a quarterback. Doesn't have a quarterback, and it isn't a very good coaching staff. So, if you're Brock Sunderland, I mean, do you redouble your efforts now to try and get Mike Riley under contract? You know what? You know what the cost is going to be. Yeah. I mean, it's it's. Don't think it's a mystery. It's going to take around six hundred thousand dollars to re-sign Mike Riley. So you know what the costs are going to be. Uh, I don't think money's going to be the issue necessarily. It's going to be what else is there 
on the table and he has a good relationship with Jason Moss and he has a familiarity with Edmonton obviously and and and, and likes it there by all accounts so you got to think the over the next three or four weeks at the Eskimos you're really going to be working this hard to try and prevent him from testing for agency. Now, it'd be considered tampering if the Riders went in there and tried to do anything, but the Riders have got to be breaking down their books to see how they can afford him because more and more isn't we're finding out this is a guy. He's the guy that's the key to the Riders' season. I don't think there's any other quarterback out there that can make a big difference as uh, Mike Riley. I can't see them going the cost-effective route of finding two quarterbacks like we did with Kevin Glevin and Brandon Bridge. You know, they could, they could spend money elsewhere. They've got to spend the money to get a quarterback. They get a quarterback... Arguably a three-year deal that carries from nineteen twenty. What if the Great Cup's here in the year beyond, and then their Chris Jones can go off wherever he's going to go as a successful guy? Because I think that's the one piece the Riders have to have is a quarterback, and the best piece in the league is Mike Riley. The only one. The only one. But going back to last year when they traded for Zach Claris, Zach Claris was the best quarterback available in January. There wasn't anybody better than him. They traded a good pick to get him, and they got him, and it just didn't work out in so many ways. But I think Mike Riley's. There's no gamble there other than he's 34, and he's pretty healthy. He's been hurt a lot in his career. Yeah, I mean, they had a 38-year-old quarterback two years ago. Yeah, that's all. It's and a they, youth had a, they, had, they had a 35-year-old or 34-year-old quarterback the year before. Well, it's a youth so, movement here. Yeah, things are getting younger. I, I And really, a 36-year-old quarterback the year before that. Oh, yeah. So, huh. Sorry. That's okay. No, it can't be. So 34 30, is young 30, by 30s, their 30s, The 30s is the new 20, I guess, in the for the rider quarterback situation. But I've really come around to the thinking that they've got to go really hard after Riley, and I think – Financially wise, uh, it was kind of put together neatly that there could be the cost of having as Calaris and Brandon Bridge, but the cost is who do you get to back them up? That's a misleading sort of yeah. assumption just to add up the the numbers, the salaries for Zach Calaris and Brandon Bridge and say that, well, just give that to Mike Riley. Yeah. But you, you still have to fill the, the roster spot. You're exactly. talking two salaries and one salary. You still have to fill that second roster spot with a quarterback salary. Yeah. So if it's an apprentice quarterback, what are you talking, 60 or 70? Something like that, like David Maybe Watford. 80. Is he the guy? But I no, know. but you still you still got to account for that that roster spot that yeah. the second quarterback is filling. So, uh, you know, you, you can't just say, "Well, we're just going to give all that money to to uh, to Mike Riley, and then we're going to play with forty three players." No, you need that forty fourth <laughs> player. So yeah. you got to account for at least and he's got to be able to play even, even if he doesn't play a minute in the game, you still got to play practice. He's got to have some guy fill the ball effectively and be decent in practice. Which I know people are going to say, well, practice, but yeah, that's a big part of the game is getting set for the games. Get to a guy who's better than, than that. It's kind of interesting. I'm not sure how much Chris Jones's contract extension was for. Maybe 600. Maybe could we have a quarterback making more than the head coach in the CFL? The guy, well, let's hope that'd be a real change, wouldn't it? That, let's hope that's the way it should be, and yeah. it shouldn't be close. Yeah. You, you look at the National Football League. Bill Belichick has played paid very well, but Kirk Cousins is making. A lot more than that. Yeah. The money should go to the players. The big money should go to the players. And I still think they have a legitimate argument. Even though they put the football operations salary cap in place and all that, you're still, you've still got an inequity where, the, where say, Chris Jones, uh, the money Mark Tressman was making in, in Toronto, you still got a, a situation where that they are making the biggest salaries. Yeah. And the, the Players Association doesn't really – lobby hard and, and stick to their guns, stick to its guns as far as making sure that there's a system in place where the players can make the most money, then uh, then it's it's a failed negotiation. Well, if Chris I, Jones is still making more than virtually every player in the league uh, after the CBA is done, that the union has failed its membership. Well, I don't, I don't, I don't see big raises coming out of this contract. I really don't see the new CBA getting – I really – 
and I hate to say it, maybe I've been brainwashed being at those three family. I don't think there's a whole pot of money out there. There is money. There they're, is. They're, they've got five hundred thousand dollars to pay a head coach. Yeah, they do that. They've got they've got six figure salaries to pay coordinators. They've got money for CEO, president CEOs. Uh, they've they've got money for vice presidents but in I'm charge not, of I'm this. Not, I know the that teams money. have the money. But they don't. It's a smokescreen to think that, that they, they don't choose to spend it on the players, though. Exactly, and yeah. that's what the players' association has got to ram through. I don't yeah. think they have the strength as a union. I don't no. think they have the resolve as a union to do that. But until until there's not just one or two players, but a few dozen players making coach money, yeah. then then the unions fail as membership. There's no. They, they've got to they've got to look at those examples, and they've got to look at the president CEOs. Yeah. And, and those higher higher level executives and say, okay, that's money that these teams can spend and have chosen to spend that's not being capped. They've got the money. They just choose not to they spend, spend enough of it on the players. You know, and, it's kind of, and I know it's not related to the CFL, but the Clemson Tigers, who won the NCAA the football player, Yes, Joey def- Walters, Homer Jordan. Their, their, def- their defensive coordinator makes $2.2 million a year. Isn't that amazing? I just, that number, I keep telling people that number going, that's crazy money. For a college team, because I remember you probably watched the same game I did. Why isn't this guy going after NFL jobs? And I can't remember who says because he makes two point two million a year. Yeah, you're cutting pay to go to professional ranks. So that's salaries being out of whack isn't just a CFL world. It's no. kind of the. But maybe there's more chance to make more money with Randy Furby or Randy. I Randy knew Furby. I was going to do <laughs> that. I knew it. Sorry, How could you tell you're a curling writer uh, at heart geez, and a Hall of Famer. And a Hall of Congratulations. Famer. Yes, uh, but. Uh, Randy Ambrosi is trying to find different revenue streams. And, and I think kind of overlooked in all this Mexico stuff, this international stuff and CFL PT 2, 2.0 is they have to find different money. There's no more money in Toronto. Maybe there's no more money in Montreal or Vancouver. How well, do you there ex- might be less money. But so how do you expand that? Well, you have to go outside Canada. You have to somehow sell the ESPN contract. I don't know if we're getting paid for that, but that's still something that's more exposure. Please, the Mexican thing didn't cost a lot of money little more exposure. Maybe there's going to be some revenue coming in, going more international, maybe more money coming in. They they, they have to expand the pool, not to the teams, other than the, but it's kind of the way, and that's survival of the league, I think. And I think Randy... For, ding, <laughs> ding to... <laughs> Randy Ambrosi. Furby. <laughs> Randy Am- sorry. Sorry, yeah. Randy Ambrosi. <laughs> We're going to get all these curlers in there. Wait a witch. Wait a witch. Randy Ambrosi realized that long ago. That's the way to expand the team and to get money coming into the CFL. And I commend him for that. I still don't see the end game in Mexico. I kind of think it's kind of fun. I think I'm going to volunteer to go down on that 10 day road trip from, I like Puerto Vallarta, Cancun, and maybe back through Huatuco, which isn't anywhere close to each other, but that'd be a good, nice road trip. Of course, it'd be in the middle of summer, and that'd be pretty smoking hot. But maybe expand to Mexico. I don't know. You, you've kind I've of. I've been to Mexico and have expanded while I've been in Mexico. Well, so. would, would it be an all-inclusive road trip? I hope. Uh, management will deal with you on the particulars of that one. <laughs> <laughs> that might be kind of fun. But the big, and it was, it's interesting too that Randy Ambrosi once said that he wants Yay! the business. He wanted the business season. He wanted this to be the business season. You think about how much stuff we're writing about now. The fact that. Post Media sent five of us to the CFL meetings in the business season and stuff too. And the CFL got how many stories out of that and stuff. So that Randy has drawn attention to this offseason with more and more than before. It'd be just a couple of signings and stuff like that. So he's done his job to expand the interest in the CFL. And I, I like that idea. I, I'm more than willing to go to Mount Tremblant every year. Soon I have to learn, to learn how to ski though. I guess that'd be kind of a big part of it. I think we're the largest group of people that didn't have ski skis with us ever at that resort so it was kind of neat but i like how randy's taking this league 
I don't think he's forgotten about Toronto, Montreal, and the CBA and player safety and stuff. He's just going different ways about it right now, which is. But let's of, get down to business. <laughs> Rent a room at a, at a at a hotel and just say, okay, we're yeah. ready to start negotiating. But it's up Come to the players, talk. Rob. The players have to inform the league that they're ready to start okay. negotiating. Okay, rent a room at a hotel, say, we're ready. When are you ready? I think it's going to be end of February. And Randy and said that. that's stupid. Well, that's, that's absolutely idiotic. The, f- the free agency deadline is February 12th. The, the teams have got to know how much money they can spend. Yep. And presumably the big, some, most of the big ticket players are going to wait until they know what the cap number is so that they can maximize their earnings. So the whole process might be preempted as a result of not having a CBA in place. Let's get this deal done. I wonder if they're even negotiating. They've still got three weeks. Let's yeah. let's let's get moving on this. Well, the February twelfth should be the 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 essential deadline for the CBA. Well, the problem is, Rob, the players don't have, doesn't have any leverage on February twelfth. They have leverage on May twelfth when this thing is over because they can hold over their head. They're going to stay out of training camps and they're going to they're not play games. That's their leverage point in this whole thing. And you talk about the players; they got to have some leverage. They have no leverage right now. Well, what can they? To, what can they take away? What's to stop them from talking? What the, what's to stop them from? Uh, I, Randy Ambrosi has talked so many times about wanting to have a rapport with the players, and there's been doors that have been opened. Okay, let's see. Let's test the extent to which this league is amenable to to having open and progressive discussions with the players. Is it on the they players should be, too? They though? should be talking around the clock until February 12th. Well, that doesn't happen in the labor negotiations. Well, that's, just because it, does, it doesn't <laughs> typically happen doesn't mean it shouldn't. No, no, it What's the sensible thing to do here? They know February 12th is a deadline. Teams need to know how much money they have to spend. Yeah. Let's let's get moving on this. And, I don't think it's going to happen by or, then, though. Or at least have an idea, okay, is the cap going to grow incrementally or is there going to be a substantial increase in the cap? Even if teams have an idea how much they can spend, even if players have an idea what the what the – what the cap is going to be. Then you can make informed decisions on where to sign. See, the way you're much. talking is it makes me think that you think there's going to be a strike or a lockout. You think it's not going to get settled before the season starts? Oh, it'll get settled because it's a weak union. Yeah. And it's a traditionally weak union. Because I remember I look back on 14, the only team that voted against the CBA were the Riders. They were very upset. And I think it had a lot to do with the small increments to the salary cap and those things. But that's what they settled for. And they had to go back to work. And they all went back to work and got, a, I think it was a five-year deal. I think it would be another long-term deal because they're not going to fool around with something I, I asked Randy, what happens if they don't have a contract? Will you go back to work? Like, you know, many people do <laughs> have don't have contracts because they can't come to an And he said, no, he doesn't want to go that way. But it didn't sound as if he, was, he ruled it out completely that he wouldn't go that way. But, you know, they could play without a contract, but that doesn't accomplish anything. No, so. I mean, it... And they're not accomplishing anything right now, so maybe that would be part of no. the course. I don't know. I just, to me, it's just baffling. I've never that, seen you this fired up over it's anything. Just so just, still, I can feel the heat, man. They've known this thing. They've known for a while that this is going to be a difficult negotiation, the, the, and perhaps a groundbreaking negotiation. The players, at least based upon their what they've said, sound like they're they mean business more than they did in two thousand and four or previously. Um, probably for the party to the greatest extent that they have since 1974, when when George Reed was in charge of the CFLPA and there was a walkout during training camp. But okay, let's get moving on this. February 12th should be the but de facto not, deadline. But that's the way the contract expires when the contract was signed. Is what that doesn't understand. that doesn't mean they can't talk. I know. I'm like it's just it's it's absolutely baffling to me that that that, that both sides aren't really pushing. 
to, to sit down as opposed to, but okay, I think we're we'll pushing, let this we're pushing and I know you said typically, but we're pushing ourselves into part of negotiations that we don't know a lot about how they, how they mechan- it's, it's just the same as anything. If you're negotiating with a union at your business, it's common sense. Oh, I know it makes common sense. It's absolute wonderful common sense. What are they doing? Why are, why are they, why are they playing the fiddle while Rome burns here? Yeah. Like talk, well, get moving I, on this. They, I think I read somewhere that Randy met with the union guys like once a month. So there, there has been communication. So, they, so this should be done by 2091 at this rate. then. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's my rant for the day. What do you want to talk about, Murph? I don't know. We're what, probably what, other curling, what other curling items can we address? Well, up I saw John Morris yesterday, and he was a pretty good shooter for guys staying mixed doubles. Uh, you know, it sounds like we're going to have the decision made on the 2020 Great Cup by the end of the month. Or, and then we're probably going to hear about, what, 10 minutes after it's decided, and the official announcement will be two weeks later. Uh, <laughs> That's not cynical at all. No. I, uh, you know, you all know Regina Hamilton in Montreal are the three centers bidding. I've been doing some, I'm looking into some of the bids and stuff, and uh, they've all got some pretty good bids out there. This is an interesting process. It's more than just Regina has everything going for it. We have the stadium, we have the facilities, we have everything in one spot. Hamilton and Montreal put together some pretty solid bids. So, uh, How do you say no if, if the riders are interested in hosting, though? That's the thing. Is how do you say no yeah. to the riders? That right? is the franchise in the league. I don't think I'm being sort of region-centric by saying that. And it drives a lot of what happens in this league as far as revenues. And but it's if, not if as if the, it's not going to come here sooner or no, later. No, but if the riders think it's their turn in 2020, yeah. it probably should be. They, I think they have that much influence. Yeah. And they're that big. But they're a, one of nine, could be ten voices in this, and the voices could be less because it'll be maybe one of six. Because I would think you'd have to exclude yourself from vote, voting on the bidding. If you have a bid at the Great Cup, well, the president, the, the president, and the prime minister get to vote for themselves. So that's true too. So I, I don't so know how I, that part's going to work. But in the states, uh, you know, uh, who knows what? Uh, you, there's no logic to what goes on there as far as who's voting for what. But you would yeah. think there'd be a little more um, sensibility as far as the yeah. as far as the voting for the Great Cup. Uh, and uh, to me, the sensible decision is okay. Saskatchewan wants it. Saskatchewan gets it. That, the other, the other two can fight over. I don't, I don't think Montreal deserves it yet. I think Montreal's got to get its house in order before it could be lining up for a Great Cup. And I think Hamilton does. You know, there's nothing to say anything wrong why Hamilton shouldn't get a Great Cup. They got a new stadium. Yeah, they're and, in line first. They got the new stadium first. So that you know that could be a, a thing to say. You know, they were there first. They're you know they, I, I still think they're sorting out the seating, but I'm not quite sure. I'm sure about that. But Hamilton's a good place. I think. Regardless, it's going to be an awesome great cup. It'll be pretty cool here. And then you and I can just sort of drop our mics and hobble off into the future, our futures after that, maybe. No, that's not the plan. No. <laughs> maybe I can just dream, dream of that one day. I will be doing this until, bam, forehead hits desk. Well, you do. That happens all the time to you. And yeah, you it might, might happen before the podcast is over. So, yeah. What are the parts of the ride? Well, we should talk a little bit more about the riders. What do you think? Do you think Willie Jefferson is going to resign? Yeah. Yes. Do you think Mike I, mean, going to be I think I think that Chris Jones' connection with Willie Jefferson is so good, yeah. and Chris Jones being a defensive-oriented coach, he's going to make sure that his pieces are in place. And uh, and Willie Jefferson is is basically said to NFL teams, yeah. "I'm not working out for you. Offer me a contract if you want me to 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 go down there, or if you want me to be interested in going down there." That there hasn't been any updates on that. If Chris, if, if uh, Willie Jefferson plays in the CFL, you would think he'd play in Saskatchewan. Chris Jones is going to make sure that happens, especially after losing Sam McGuavin. Yeah, you've got to make sure that another one of your really important defensive pieces is in place. Sam was overlooked. I think his contributions that we didn't really talk about. I talked about for a couple of league awards and stuff, but he was kind of overlooked his contribution in the rides. I think he's going to go down and do well there. I think he's can 
playing special teams and kick around for a while. But same token, you know, you never know who's in front of them. Like how many times have guys signed and they think they're going to do well and all of a sudden they draft two guys ahead of them and they sign some other free agent and the guy's back up here in blink of an eye. But his body type and his, his skill set I think is really conducive to being able to go down there and and uh, play well. Look at Brian Peters. And Brian yeah. Peters was not an exceptional player. He was yeah. a good player. And he's still. still dining out on the National Football League, doing really well. So yeah. so Sam Aguavin, I think he was a more impactful player than Brian Peters. Uh, sideline to sideline player. At the very least, you'd think he'd, he'd be able to make a real impact on, on special teams. And, yeah. um, you know, I look at even, you know, Jordan Williams Lambert and had a good year, Western Division Rookie of the Year, but didn't set the league on fire. No. Neither did Dontrell Inman. And he's still playing in the NFL. Yeah. If you look at Jordan Williams-Lambert's numbers this year and compare them to both of Dontrell Inman's seasons in Toronto, those numbers are very similar. Yeah. So a lot of it has to do when you end up if there's a spot there open for you, if they needed that position too. Yeah. That, you know, that depends where timing is huge in that in that league and that kind of stuff. And who knows what the draft will bring and who knows what free agency will bring. Yeah. And they have they I doubt that they've put a lot of money into the signing bonuses yeah. for Williams Lambert or for Sam McGuavin. So mm-hmm. well I think Sam has been in the NFL, wasn't he? Did he sign once before? No. I'm not sure. Let's talk curling. Let's talk curling. I watched mixed doubles yesterday. It's a fast-moving game, kind of fun to watch. What else is going on rider-wise that's, that's worth noting, or should we just wrap it up? Anything else that's really burning at you? We'll probably sign off and say, oh, geez, we forgot about that. I can't think of, you know, it's, it used to be January was, somehow you talk about curling. Back in the olden days, the, the, a cur- lot of, the beat guy covered curling. That's yeah, what we a lot, did. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of newspapers would take their CFL writer and say, okay, you're covering curling during the yeah. winter. And it doesn't happen. And I loved it. And that's how I, you know, I wasn't, did as much, did as much, but. Curling's a great game. I know people kind of make fun of all the people listening to this podcast are all probably rolling their eyes. Well, maybe one. But, you know, it was kind of fun to get to a curling rink again yesterday for the five or six people who were there watching mixed doubles. <laughs> really didn't draw a big crowd. But, yeah, I can't, I can't you know, the writers are going to keep talking about it. Like at the CFL meetings, there was a lot of, there's a lot of talking. Because basically, I'll give you a quick, quick, we had like a three-hour window to interview everybody we could. And then the other three days, we sat around waiting for meetings to end or Randy to come out to uh, inform us on something else. So it wasn't – it was it was kind of cool because I had breakfast with Jim Pop, just talking life and football with Jim Pop, who's a great conversationist. Corey Chamney came up to me, and I'll – quick story. He says, he asked, how's my mom doing? Because he knows my mom lives in Toronto. He was very disappointed I didn't stop to see her. And he asked, how's my granddaughter doing? And the same thing, I talked to Orlando Steinhauer. He's really a funny guy. Devon Claybrooks is going to be a character. His press that would be fun. His he he made me laugh harder than most times than anybody there. And just I think and he knows the game. He's a pretty smart guy. He's got a good staff together. Mark Mueller's with that staff now. I think. Has he moved over to BC? Yeah, I think so. There was some talk. I thought Mark Mueller was Mark was staying in Calgary. Well, I thought this is what the kind of the rumors were a little bit about that, but I don't know if that's one hundred percent sure. But it was so, and you got to meet GMs and the presidents and stuff, and it was a real opportunity because. You know, in our world, it's so scrum-based and so orchestrated and so everything's locked down that we don't get a chance to even find out these guys have a heart. And I can tell you, after my little bit with Chris Jones, Chris Jones has a heart. He can be a little funny. We were talking about different things, and he was kind of... I've talked to Chris Jones one-on-one twice, yeah. and he's been outstanding to talk yeah. to one-on-one. Um, the problem with scrums, if there's seven or eight people in the scrum, plus cameras, plus everything you've got a you've got a you don't have a rapport necessarily with everybody 
Yep. And you know it's being recorded by everybody. And so you have to be careful. And if there's, let's say there's seven reporters in a scrum and you know and trust six of them, but you don't know or trust the seventh, yep. uh, it might be somebody just who happens to be there that day. You're going to you're gonna gear every comment toward the lowest, toward I don't trust that person. I don't yep. know that person. And uh, it's going to be very careful political stuff. But when you actually have a chance to have a conversation with an exchange and with, um, it's a, it can be really cool. And the two chances I've had to talk to, to Chris Jones, I've, I've absolutely, I've been so impressed both on both occasions. I would love. But you to. don't see that side of him very often. I would love to have a chance to talk because I mean, the things he's been through in all his career, all the different coaches and Don Matthews and different sort of. He lived on a boat when he was with the Argos. Yeah, well, I remember Ken boatman. Miller telling us he lived in the, he slept in the offices. And you found out these kind of things. And he lives in hotel rooms and he's got to watch his diet a little bit because, you know, we all know by living in hotel rooms, it's not exactly health food waiting for you when you walk out your door and all that stuff. And it's, but it doesn't happen because it's just the world we're in right now that, you know, people, thing is though, people felt like they knew Ken Miller by and large. Yeah. And you could make a very good case that he was, he was, it was on his watch that the biggest coaching gaffe in rider history took place. I don't need to be, more specific than that. And you know what? He weathered it. A lot of coaches would have been fired or vilified, stigmatized as a result of that, that, uh, that incident. But you know what? People rallied around the riders and they rallied around Ken Miller. And I think it's because they felt that people knew him. If the riders were able to, using the media as a conduit or in various other forms, be able to allow the public to see the, the Chris Jones that you've seen and I've seen when we've we, we've had those rare opportunities to talk to him one-on-one, I think they would warm up to him a lot more quickly. I was at the annual general meeting in 2016 when he spoke largely extemporaneously to the crowd and he had them in the palm of his hand talking for 20 minutes. But It's like two and a half years ago. Right? You know, and uh, but that's, those opportunities have been few and few and far between. I've never seen Chris Jones have an interaction with a fan after practice or whatever that hasn't been thoroughly impressive. Yeah. So I don't know if, if the riders could build into build some sort of create some sort of scenario where, whereby the fans actually could get to know Chris Jones a bit or feel like they knew him, like, like people felt like they knew Ken Miller, maybe there'd be a little more empathy but he when some controversial decisions are made. When I was talking to Corey, Corey and we we're talking about the fact when he came here in his first two years, Corey Chamberlain, I'm talking about, he did a lot of stuff. He went out, He went to almost every dinner. He did every sort of thing they were asked. And he got away from that. And doesn't he had... We go to every dinner, though. Yeah, but <laughs> you know, like Chris doesn't have a cachet with the Regina, with the Rough Rider fans. They don't know him as a dinner, yeah. after dinner. So he doesn't do that. He's, and part of it's... I mean, logistically, he's down, down I know, and, and his job is to win football games. It's not to make sure you had a good chicken dinner or to make sure Murray and Rob are happy because we had a one-on-one. His job is to win football. And I've said this before. Chris Jones figured out a long time ago the media doesn't help him win a game. And we're just, he deals with us professionally sometimes. Oh, I'm almost all the time. No, I've fine. never had it. No, you see, he gets a little, oh, you're right. Everyone's entirely being in a bad mood every now and again. So it's fine. But he realized that we don't help him. And then, so it's not that sort of thing. So that falls there, upon There the, is that capital with, when yeah. you build that kind of relationship yeah. that Ken Miller had. But then, but now, then you have a 13th man. Yeah. And, and that could have been the end of a coaching career there. And Ken Miller coached that team for, well, one and a half more seasons, yeah. as it turned out, and and there was a, like a love in over Ken Miller, and 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 at some point he's going to be in the Plaza of Honor, and he was the head coach when the thirteenth man thing happened, and I think a lot of 
a lot of the 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 latitude that was granted to Ken Miller was because the fans liked him. Yeah. And the media liked him. So when your coach is so, that guy. I'm just trying to defeat your argument. But when your coach is that guy, who does it fall upon? Quarterback. And who didn't want to do that with this team? So I don't think Zach had any interest in doing being the face of the team. No. Being the guy out having dinners and giving. He did the, the, touchdown, the touchdowns and stuff and the passing yard and things. But I don't think that was really kind of overwhelmed everybody. So if that doesn't, the, the riders don't have a face other than the brand. And I think. Oh, the Riders are more than a brand. I think they need a face. They and need that's a face. Mike Riley. So we can take us way back to where we started from. There's no better face and no better dresser than Mike Riley. Can you imagine? Oh, I mean, man. Honestly. Um, it you, would, I would have to tell you what. You wouldn't come to, come to every practice because every column you would write be on Mike Riley. It's just like talking to Kevin Glenn every day. I seized every opportunity. And yes, Darian was extraordinary that well as, that way as well. It would be the, the 2000 and, and what year is it? 2019 version of Glenn Dobbs. Where this star quarterback comes into town and instantly owns it, it would be Glenn Dobbs. The our our, our opportunity to see what life was like in 1951 when when it was Dauberville in Saskatchewan because he would absolutely take over. Mm-hmm. And you know we 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 got glimpses of that. We saw how popular Henry Burris was and how pot we knew how popular he could have been. You know with that kind of personality. Um, you know, we saw we saw Darian Durant at his absolute peak, and 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 finally, people by and large appreciated what he could do. Uh, you know, I grew up with with Ronnie, and and uh, by the end of it, it felt like some people almost took Ronnie for granted. Well, did, but yeah. uh, you know, for Mike Riley to come in here, for the Riders to win a bidding war, um, can, and the opportunities to just have the franchises have the brand grow at the same time that Mike Riley is, is here. The, the opportunities and the possibilities are infinite. We've never yeah. seen anything like that. And before. there's nobody in this, as much as we tout this free agent class, there's nobody in his league to do that, to be able to. So, but you know some, I think just about every other team's going to have to take a, well, Winnipeg won't have to take a look at it. Maybe probably, possibly not Toronto. But one thing the riders can do that nobody else can do. And Justin Dunk mentioned this in his, in his uh, story last Friday about the Rough Riders being poised to really go after Mike Riley with some some uh, determination. Uh, there's off-field possibilities here and post-football possibilities. Because you're Mike Riley and you're the Ryder quarterback, it could go absolutely wild as far as monetary opportunities for him. We haven't really seen that in the past. Like, Darren Durant had a truck. I don't think we saw much else than he had that, and he was about as high profile as he hasn't really. Not in my time. I don't remember seeing the quarterbacks rolling and dole. No, but what cash. if? What if? What most if, of the money was made through appearances. But what if the quarterback were to come here and, and to really court it? Uh, you go back to 1997 when the Riders drafted David Archer first overall in the Sacramento expansion draft, and a lot of their offer to, to David Archer was based upon remuneration outside of that which is provided by the team, and that was going to be a huge part of that deal if he came here. You know, if if a quarterback wanted to cash in here, Riders sign marquee quarterback, somebody who's been the most outstanding player in the Canadian Football League. I think the advertisers are lining up. Yeah, it I don't could, know how you can. And, and who else can rival that? If, if you're Mike Riley and you're in Edmonton, you decide you want to make some extra dough. Well, you're the big name in town. In town is still Connor McDavid, and after that, it's Leon Draisaitl. And after after that, Milan it's Ryan, Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Milan, Milan Lusik? No. You know, and uh, he had two goals. <laughs> he did two goals. Oh. And uh, <laughs> so every other market, basically, you're competing with an NHL team. Even if you're in Hamilton, you're still competing with John Tavares to a degree. 
you come here, you own this market, you own this city, and what what are the financial rewards? And no other team can rival that. Sounds like you're trying to sell Mike Riley on the Riders. Well, that's that <laughs> is their niche. Yeah. I don't think their niche is the know, offense. But how can you how can you say to a guy that's going to sign? Okay, we can, can you guarantee them this off field money? I don't you know have you all the do. you have sponsors and advertisers and everybody. Yeah, it's not lined like up. back in the day used to be this used to go work for Crown Corporations. Eh? Remember that? Yeah, you know, then there were a lot who did, and maybe there's some vocational opportunities there too. Maybe there's some mark some public appearance. If you're making six hundred grand a year, do you need an off season job? It's a short. Job? It's a short uh, window as a professional football quarterback. Yeah. You can set yourself up so amazingly here more than anywhere and i think that's that's the rider's advantage over everybody else it's not the offensive package it certainly isn't the weather it's not proximity to home but it's if everybody's offering say 600 625 650 and the riders can push a shopping cart full of opportunities to him that uh, nobody else can even dream of let alone rival i think that's their niche yeah you know if it's if it's hey mike you can make a million a year once you add everything up that's pretty hard to turn down when you're in the prime of your career. So, Mark, have we gone too long? You're at 30 minutes, 33 right now. We're at 33 minutes. We're going to go another 114 minutes, and then we'll wrap it up. Okay, yeah. Can we, do we have anything else have to say about Mike Riley? I don't no. think so. I'm filibustering a lot today. I do apologize. He dresses well. He's got the nicest hats. He dresses well. So, about that. So who, who, okay, let's look at the hats, for example. Is there a, <laughs> is that, is there a men's clothier in town that sells hats? Could there be a better endorser than Mike Riley in the hat? Mm-hmm. Like honestly, you can build all this stuff you up. Are, but you, you, you and I wear hats every day, and they're ball caps. I haven't really quite seen. Let me you find it. No, keep it away from that. It's going to mess your hair. Oh, he's leaving, folks. Rob Vanstone has left. The Yorkton table. Terriers. Wow. My godson Eric Anderson used to be in charge of marketing for the Yorkton okay. Terriers, yeah. but I paid for the hat, and so this is the kind of high quality clothing that we wear here but cons- i mean who is it colin o'brien or who sells hats in this city Man. well honestly <laughs> it's a built-in lucrative endorsement deal you would think for player and company the hats are already in place it's a neat hat trick why not pull it off yep. you know well, look, look at when weston dressler came back from the nfl in 2014 Everybody was lined up. Dairy Queen was going to give him free blizzards until he was 115. And, and uh, Italian star Deli, I think, named a panini after Weston Dressler, et cetera, et cetera. And there were all these little perks and uh, people trying to entice Weston to come back. And he'd really never given no thought to going anywhere else, as it turned out anyway. But can you imagine if you started to line up, if all these businesses started to line up and, okay, here's free cable, here's free this, here's free internet, here's a free leader post. <laughs> uh, I guess it's free online anyway. But honestly, what an absolute grocery list of oper- of uh, perks there could be. So there. So there. I'm talking too much. Mur, save us. All right. I think we're done. Okay. Done. Uh, professionally, I'm obligated to read this um, and display my immense skills of uh, literacy. Please rate us on iTunes and leave a review. It helps us grow the podcast. Uh, uh, if you'd like to send us a question, you can email me at rvanstoneatpostmedia.com and we might read your question on the show. That's a lot. That's really promising, isn't it? We might read your question. We, we will read your question on the show. As we long haven't as been it's not inundated with questions yet, have we? No, but it's the new year. Yeah. So if you'd like to um, 
ask any questions uh, i'm at rob vanstone on twitter he's at murray lp at on twitter and uh, murray will also feed your cur- field your curling questions so yeah um for murray mccormick um i'm mike Ray- mike riley's new agent <laughs> yes mike riley's <laughs> rob yeah, vanstone relations <laughs> firm we'll do this again next week thanks for being with us and uh, have a good day maybe we'll have something on mike riley by then who knows stranger things have happened in this league Take has care. we replaced john carter as the most mentioned guy on the podcast oh it's it's can you imagine we'll have a little tote board so anyway for murray i'm rob thanks for uh, being with us today